You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, this is the first week of April, and uh, that means it's Exposing Kabbalah Week here on Discovering Truth. You are going to embark on the fourth installment of a series that I did in 12 parts last year as part of the Bride Ministries Church. Keep in mind, as you hear the information this week, that the entire series is available on our Bride Ministries Institute. Where is that? Bride Ministries Institute. And you can get the entire series for just $15, the same price that it exists as a sermon series on our website. And I want to also say there's all kinds of goodies to find on our website at bridemovement.com. Bride Ministries is a church, guys. We, We actually run a church and if you did not know that, I want to encourage you to hang out with us on Sunday evenings at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And our church platform has continued to expand. We are now on our main streaming page, live.briarmovement.com, where we have a very active chat. We are also on YouTube. We are also on Facebook Live uh, on our Bride Ministries Facebook page. We also are live streaming to Roku and Apple TV apps on your smart TV. So there are so many ways to get the Bride Ministries Church now. It's um, quite, quite, I would say, impressive. <laughs> so we wanted you to join and hang out, you know, and as part of the Bride Ministries Church, we have various outreaches as well as we continue to work on building community and even offering volunteer opportunities for those of you that uh, really feel connected to what we are doing. I want to uh, encourage those of you that are in fear and panic because of this so-called epidemic called coronavirus. You just keep in mind, look, uh, this is an exercise in how much fear and intimidation can we as a kingdom of darkness impose on people um, behind everything. Yes, I understand that some people are getting sick and some people are dying, but guess what? That happens every day, folks. If you uh, we're not aware more people are still dying of car accidents every day. And so I want you to uh, just keep in mind, the devil wants people in fear, intimidation, and so forth. And if you find yourself in that position because of all that is going on in the news and people saying stuff and relatives and so forth, please visit our prayer page and find the coronavirus prayer that we have up there because this is a prayer against the power uh, of fear. And also a calling for judgment on the hidden hand moving behind the coronavirus because I guarantee you, if you see something like this moving on an international level, you can guarantee the deep state is behind that and up to something no good. And so uh, anyway. Uh, Thank you for those of you that continue to support this ministry financially. We love you. We appreciate you. That's why we send you things at the end of the year, in addition to your uh, tax deduction statement. Now, I want to um, just encourage you guys, look, uh, you can give through our app. You can give through our website. You can text to give now. We have that as well. We even accept cryptocurrency. Some of you like to give us that. Uh, We take it. Um, If you don't have the app, Why would you want the app? Well, let me tell you, because it has push notifications to your phone. It'll tell you when we're having church. It'll tell you when there's a new podcast posted. 
It'll, t- it'll have all the prayers there. You could scroll, pick prayer, use it. And podcasts. And, and, and on the app, we have all of the most recent sermons available to you for free. Now, if you get our sermons after we speak them at our church life, uh, from our website, they have a cost associated with them. You can get them in packages and gift sets or whatever. But, but why, why do that when you can get all the most recent sermons for free just by downloading the app, which is also free? You know, so we want to encourage everybody to get that Bride Ministries app from the Google Play Store, from iTunes. Folks, I am just excited about what the Lord is doing. I will uh, stop talking now and don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. We're going to start with the question, what is Kabbalah? Answer. Kabbalah is the ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible, first transmitted orally using esoteric methods. Kabbalah is an esoteric method, discipline, and school of thought that originates in Judaism. Now, what is the connection to Judaism? It is not possible to discuss Kabbalah apart from a conversation on what is called Judaism or simply Jewish doctrine. Okay, Some Christians think that Judaism is simply a study of the Old Testament, which is why many believers are very confused as to why our Jewish brothers and sisters um, don't get it that Jesus is the Messiah or Yeshua, you know, is the Messiah. If they're looking at the same book that we're looking at and we have all of these textual proofs, I mean, so many prophecies fulfilled in Yeshua, Jesus Christ, how is it that they just don't get it? Well, Jewish doctrine regarding the Old Testament comes from, well, primarily from two sources. One is the Babylonian Talmud. In other words, it is false information to think that Judaism simply studies the Old Testament. That's false. It's not true. That's not where they're getting all of their doctrine from. They're getting a lot of it from something known as the Babylonian Talmud, which is a commentary on the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the first major written collection of the Jewish oral traditions known as the Oral Torah. In other words, that's all the stuff that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for yoking the children of Israel with. Or I should say at that time, the Jews, because they had already gone through their diaspora. And so it is also the first major work of rabbinic literature. Now, when it comes to Jewish doctrine, the oral Torah is considered by some to be as divinely inspired as the Old Testament itself. But that's only one side of it. The other source is Kabbalah. The word Kabbalah uh, in itself means to receive. So Kabbalah is a collection of Jewish esoteric books. And these books include the Zohar, the Sefer Yetzirah, 
the Book of Mysteries, the Gate of Reincarnations, and three Enoch, which is not to be confused with one Enoch, which is part of the uh, pseudepigrapha and actually explains a lot of what we don't have direct context for in the book of Genesis. Three Enoch was written way later by a guy who claims to have had a visitation with Metatron, the angel of the presence who is in that book declared to be Enoch. And so in talking with him, you have this Kabbalistic text. And um, some people may want to think that Kabbalah can be separated from Judaism. Um, but what I have found in doing my research is that this notion is dismissed by their own writers and Jewish rabbis and sages over the centuries. They all lean on Kabbalah and, and they look at Kabbalah as Sad or the secret, the deepest level of Torah understanding that you can aspire to. And so for a long time, the tradition was that you had to be a absolute scholar in the uh, Old Testament and, and really the Babylonian Talmud before they allowed a person to begin to study Kabbalah or the secret texts. Um, now, Kabbalah is everywhere. It, it's, it, it, it's in New Age. It's in the Theosophical Society. It's in Freemasonry. It's in the Illuminati. It's in Judaism. <laughs> and guess what? It's also in Christian mysticism, dispensationalism, and Hebrew roots. <laughs> All right. So, why are we talking about it? We are spending weeks investigating it because Kabbalah, unfortunately, is, well, for those of you that may have not known this, is not of God. Kabbalah is not of God, yet it has influenced major areas of Christendom. And since many believers do not even know what Kabbalah is, they neither know what its beliefs are, nor how to identify where its influence has poisoned the waters in the body of Christ. People are being unwittedly trained in Kabbalah, and they're not even told that's what they're learning. Kabbalah teaches an esoteric template for the... Um, for man, for the creation of the universe, and this template is known as the Kabbalah tree. It is a source of revelation for students of the deep occult. It is a programming template for survivors of satanic ritual abuse. It is a basis for a lot of the rituals and initiations that are done in Freemasonry. Um, it has so many applications. It, it relates to new age practices in ascension techniques. It even correlates with chakra points and those activations. It, it's, it, it, it is really, really widely disseminated at this point. And thus, we, we are going to learn why Kabbalah, at its core, is a doctrine of demons revealing the government of Lucifer. Okay? That's why we're here. Um, as we go through this, I will be naming names as far as people that are... Um, Students of the occult that associate with the system of magic. Um, I am not going to be naming by name 
Christian ministers that are teaching Kabbalah, but my hope is that as you listen to this series and listen to the concepts get broken down and explained, you will be able to on your own identify where it has crept in. I'm not in the business of blowing other Christian ministries up. I just don't do that. Um, but here's a list of some students of Kabbalah that are occult leaders. Um, we've talked about them before, and I'm naming them again. Eliphas Levi led the occult revival of the 1800s, revived Satanism and Luciferianism. McGregor Mathers, one of the three founders of the Order of the Golden Dawn, mentor of Aleister Crowley. H.P. Blavatsky, whose writings garnered materials of Neoplatonism, Renaissance magic, Kabbalah, and Freemasonry. She even joined it with ancient Egyptian and Greco-Roman mythology. Uh, she formed the Theosophical Society. And for those of you that know about Alice Bailey, Alice Bailey was part of the Theosophical Society. Alice Bailey was the one who channeled Dual Kool, one of the Ascended Masters, and established the Lucifer Trust, now known as Lucius Trust, and was the first to deploy the term New Age and spoke about the coming age of Aquarius. Guess where she got some of those concepts from, right? A.E. Waite. He wrote occult texts on the subjects of divination, esotericism, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, ceremonial magic, and of course, Kabbalah. Why? Because it fits right in. It helps them achieve their occult desires. The system of magic is highly powerful. Manly P. Hall, Freemasonry. He is the author of The Secret Magic of the Kabbalah. He actually wrote that book. Albert Pike, another famous Freemason who wrote Morals and Dogma and um, absolute student of Kabbalah. So, you know, the question that I have asked over and over, if this system of study is producing these people and this fruit, then why are people in Christendom making a case for its study by students of Jesus? Now, why do we need to avoid Kabbalah? I'm going to give you two scriptures. Number one is Titus chapter 1, 10 through 14. Which says, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole household, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. Jewish fables include Kabbalah and the Babylonian Talmud, the traditions of men. Point number two, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11 verses 1 through 4. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. In other words, I'm concerned that if someone starts teaching you about Metatron's cube, you'll sign up and ascend inside of it. Hmm. So we're talking about, 
why we need to avoid this stuff. It's bad juju. Now, what is the Kabbalistic tree of life? The Zohar goes into great detail on something known as the Ten Sephirot and the creation story they reveal. This is illustrated as a diagram, which is called the Kabbalistic tree of life or the tree of knowledge. In Kabbalah, the tree that is studied is referred to as the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil interchangeably. This is very important. And we're going to get into why it's very important uh, in today's sermon. Um, it, so, so, so this Kabbalistic tree of life function as a creation myth, a counterfeit creative template explaining the nature of creation, the template for the design of man, and therefore works as a programming template for survivors of satanic ritual abuse atop which programming is layered in. So they put it at the bottom and then they layer programming on top of this template. And so uh, we're going to take a look at it and I am going to show you this slide. All right. So here it is, the Kabbalah tree. Um, and I'm going to just zoom in a little bit here and show you this nice and big. Um, all right. So this tree begins with Ein, which means nothing. Ein Sof, which means limitless nothing. And Ein Sofire, which is the limitless light from nothing. Um, this is the unknowable God who at a point called desire creates a void in order to yield the creation. And so into this void, the limitless light from nothing, the unknowable God injects light, who finds its first sephira, or we call them like transformers or um, um, filters, at Keter, which is the crown, and the creation story of the Kabbalah myth begins at Keter and then moves along the tree to Chokma and then Bina and Kased and Gevora and Tifret, Netzach, Had, Yased, and finally ends at Malkut. And we talked about this creation myth over the past two um, sermons. We talked about how it looks like a lightning bolt ending at Malkuth, and that Malkuth is the kingdom. This is the only part of the tree that is in the physical world. Everything else above this tree, according to the creation myth, is in the spiritual world. But since it's both a creative template and a template for the design of man, we see that Keter finds itself at the crown of the human body. Chokma and Bina are on either side of the left and right ears. Da'at is the hidden 11th point, which finds itself at the throat. Chesed is at the shoulder, and Gavor is also at the shoulder. Typhret becomes the heart. Netzach is the elbows and the hips. Had as well, elbows and hips. Yased is the genitals. And then Malkut, which also means kingdom, finds itself at the feet. So we learned last week that this tree contains a creation story. And it begins by replacing the revelation that Elohim is a creator. Instead of saying that in the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth, that is Elohim created the heavens and the earth, they rewrite this to say that in the beginning, um, Ein Sof worked with Keter and Chokma to create Elohim. So they actually rewrite the Genesis 1 narrative, and I showed you exactly how they did that a couple of weeks ago, in order to set up a cosmology which is entirely antichrist. Because when we juxtapose their version of Genesis 1 with John chapter 1, which says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we realize that they write Yeshua, Jesus, right out of the creation narrative in Genesis 1.1. On this point... We noted that the Kabbalah narrative is irreconcilable with Christianity to the core. Now, with this foundation, we taught through the rest of the tree and how the ten sephirot tell a story of the light of Ein Sof traveling downward through the creation. And um, Kabbalists view Malkut this. Uh, point down at the bottom as Shekinah or the female counterpart of Ein Sof, the unknowable God. In their mythology, she is the gateway of man's ascension to knowledge, the bride of Tifret, or we could expand that and just say the bride of Metatron, who is represented by all of these six points beginning at Da'at and bottoming out at Yasad which we'll talk about later on, um, and a mother who is one with the children of Israel, right? So they have a view of Shekinah. They work this concept into their thinking. And while we in Christianity just simply associate Shekinah with the glory of God, um, they have a very occult definition of Shekinah that they work with. Um, now, through Kabbalah-related initiations and ascensions, the idea is that one can work their way up the tree in order to come into greater and greater illumination. Make sense? So I'm going to uh, end this. This week, we are going to cover a couple of concepts. Um, and... The first is known as the shattering of the vessels. And this leads to what is known as the secret doctrine of Tikkun. That's what we're going to be focusing on today because this is really important to understand. So if you did not hear last week's sermon, you got to get it. Okay. And if you didn't hear the week before that, you got to get it. Like I said at the beginning of the series. If you don't follow me from the beginning, I'm going to say things that will lose you because I can't fully reteach everything every time, right? I can review it, but I can't reteach it. And there's a lot of finer points. And so I do highly recommend going back and, um, you know, if you're just starting today, go ahead and pick up parts one, two, and three from our website at brideministriesinternational.com on the shop page. And so, um, With that said, we are going to begin by looking at the shattering of the vessels. Now, the shattering of the vessels in Kabbalah is their version of the fall. Now, 
before we talk about their version of the fall, we're going to talk about the Bible's version of the fall, right? Because again, what we're going to find is that Kabbalah takes a, <laughs> a whole lot of ungranted permissions in order to rewrite the whole story, right? They call it ancient Jewish wisdom. I call it heresy. But, but let's make sure that we have the actual story fresh in our minds before we start talking about what they say. So in Christianity, we learned that there were many trees in the garden, right? So God, he creates the world in six days, and then the seventh day he rests. And then we pick up in Genesis chapter 2. And God has created this garden eastward of Eden, where he puts the man. And the Bible is very clear that at the center of the garden, there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam was instructed not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for to do so would be rebellion against God, right? So we talk about obedience and rebellion. It's sin to disobey. And so we understand that when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he sinned and death entered. Now, the Bible in Genesis 2.9 says this. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Plain and simple. Then right. it says in Genesis 2.17, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. How's that? So the fall occurred when Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, falling prey to the lie of the serpent. You're, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And so she was deceived by the lie. And once she ate the fruit, she gave some to Adam. And he ate it too. So... The Bible is very clear. Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. He simply sinned. He actually had full knowledge of what he was doing. So the Bible says in Genesis 3, 4, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the truth was that Adam and Eve were already like God. They, they were created in his image. They were in perfect communion with him. They had everything they could ever want, need, or ask for. Eve was deceived. And uh, Adam knew exactly what he was doing and ate the fruit anyway. So the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But then Adam jumped on the gravy train. So then we run into Romans 5, 14, which says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through 
sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Romans 5.14, right? So what I want you to know is that the concept of the fall in the garden is absolutely central to understanding the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. If we don't understand what the first Adam did, we can't understand what the second Adam came to do. If we erode our understanding of the need of mankind for Yeshua, we're going to end up with an antichrist religion that writes him out of the script. Now, we already saw how Kabbalah wrote Jesus right out of Genesis 1-1. What I'm going to show you today is how they write Jesus out of his role as second Adam. Because they have their own version of a second Adam, which is entirely different to what the Bible teaches. And we need to know that as people try to teach us about our, you know, ancient Jewish wisdom. So let's go look at some Kabbalah, right? We need to understand that it is very, very important to know that Jesus Christ came as the second Adam. Absolutely central to gospel truth. If we are confused about Adam, we will be confused about Jesus. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 19, this is an extraordinarily important piece of scripture. It says, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now look at that, right? The first Adam is a pattern of the second Adam. pattern, right? Now, what I'm going to tell you later is that Kabbalah redefines the first Adam and then redefines the pattern and then redefines the second Adam and then redefines the cosmic conflict up the bottom, rewriting the script, right? But I'm just, right, get, get ready for it. Right now we're in the word. So verse 15 says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. In other words, the second Adam 
is Jesus. The second Adam is the one that is restoring all things back to their original intent. The second Adam is reconciling the creation in himself. The second Adam is reconciling man and God. The second Adam has already come. Now I'm going to tell you something. You're about to be real mad. You're going to be real mad. I'm looking I'm looking at you because you're listening to me and you're saying, yeah, I know that. But when I show you what Kabbalah doctrine does with this beautiful truth, you're going to be very, very angry. And then when you look around and you see people ascending Metatron's cube and going to conferences called Zohar Illuminated, you're going to be like, no, no. Why? How is this happening? When you look at people that are saying, I'm going back to Torah. I'm just going to study with my Jewish friends. I'm going to forget about the New Testament. I'm going to get the real truth, right? I'm saved to Torah. I'm saved to the 613 laws. You're going to be like, no, I get it now. I see the agenda. This is so diabolical. Let me, let, let me prove it to you. All right, so just like the Kabbalah uses a sinister redefining of Genesis 1-1, Kabbalah uses a sinister redefining of the fall and Adam's role in it. To the unsuspecting sucker, they may begin to learn the Jewish fables, thinking they have landed on ancient wisdom that will help them to better understand the truth of God through illumination. To Dan Duvall, Kabbalah yet again targets a key component of the faith with intentional heresy that will land a person in a belief system that cannot be reconciled to the revelation of Jesus Christ, period. Now, this is what you need to understand about the Kabbalistic view of the two trees in the garden. I will direct your attention to my little uh, slide. And over here, We will read a little bit of um, an excerpt from a book called The Secret Doctrine of the Guyana Vilna, Volume 2, by Joel David Baxt. And, and, and this guy is a, a, a raging Kabbalist, okay? And uh, he writes a whole lot of, I mean, this book is bad stuff, right? <laughs> but this is what he says. The rabbis have always taught, let me, let me repeat that always taught that the tree of knowledge and the tree of life are on one one and the same the tree of knowledge is only that part of the tree of life that is branching out into this lower and limiting dimension that then produces the phenomenon of multiplicity it is the higher dimensional branching structure of the tree of dual knowing versus the rooting structure of the tree of singular knowing. As we reach the edge of the branches in the lower dimensional tree, however, it does not actually end, but rather it curves back on itself or, depending upon the surface of the topological model we use, the end of linear days is simply inverting upon itself and in doing so, transforming the entire spiritual as well as the physical universe. The lower dimensional tree of knowledge now reveals itself to be the original hyperdimensional tree of life whose roots are now in heaven, leading all the way back to the future to the never-ending source of the light of Ein Sof. 
Now, let me explain this to you in Dan Duvall's speech, right? They believe that the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life are the same tree. So Adam could not have really sinned by taking of the tree of knowledge because it was the same thing as the tree of life. So something else is actually going on. Furthermore, what I just read to you is exactly why through the Kabbalistic tree of life, which is a counterfeit creative template that is interfaced with survivors around the world, they are able to fold and bend and twist that tree as a cosmic mechanism for reinstating bondage and iniquity in an infinity loop that cannot be broken, even with the language, I repent of all iniquity of my ancestors going back to Adam because the tree itself creates an infinity loop. And this is one of the reasons why traditional deliverance fails satanic ritual abuse survivors. It's because they're in a tree with an infinity loop that folds and shifts throughout the cosmic creation reinstating bondage in a replicative power that the church has not understood exists. But I'm going to talk about more of that later. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready for that. And it's powered up by Ein Sof because that is where this government and tree and counterfeit creative template descends from. Someone said, why is it that I have said repentance prayers for me and all of my ancestors going back to Adam and I'm still in bondage. You have not dealt with the tree. I'm telling you, when this thing begins to fold and spin across the dimensions, it is extraordinarily complex in, in its, it really works by equations, formulas, and algorithms to reinstate the bondage and the iniquity that people are trying to break free from. And it has locked the world up. But we're figuring it out. Like I said, at the beginning of my journey, when I started running into Kabbalah, I didn't even know what to call it. I just called it the template. And I, I mean, I just kept running head on and I could not get people out. I couldn't get it solved. Not until we finally wrote the freedom from the Kabbalah tree prayer, which is in my book, Advanced Prayer to Shake the Nerd. So you can get it in a few weeks. But, um, you know, we're learning more. And, and, and I, am, I, I, I am venturing to continue uh, working prayer mm, strategies and resources against the, the the understanding that I am coming into on this thing because it's not just a template for the design of men in their own writings it is a it is a template for the universe that is also being mirrored in the design of man and it comes out in their teachings and it comes out in the programming that we're undoing it comes out in all of this stuff this is really bad stuff but anyway we're getting back to the storyline right because we're, we're coming back to the basic Kabbalah teaches that this tree is both the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil at the same time. Now, in Kabbalah, Adam Cademan, who I explained to you before, who is synonymous with Keter or the crown, and we'll 
take another look at this, right? Um, Adam Cademan, let me see, where are my little drawing tools? He took them away from me. Uh, I want to draw on this, but I can't find my tools. Um, Adam Cademan is up here at Ketter, and he is known as the primordial man. He is androgynous, meaning that he's both male and female. And he, according to their mythology, contains the whole creation in him. So what happens is Ein Sof enters in with its light and forms Keter, which is Adam Kadman. And so in Kabbalistic doctrine, you have the first Adam, which is Adam Kadman, which is not a physical man. The first Adam is Keter, or the crown, from which the rest of the creation descends. That's this guy, right? And then this Adam creates a physical man, Adam, in Malkut later on. And so coming back to what I explained to you about the uh, storyline of the Kabbalah tree, um, as the light was descending from Keter to Chokmah to Bina, right, to Chesed to Gevorah, telling this whole creation narrative, we get down to Malkut and then something goes wrong, right? So this is their theory. Something goes wrong. And it turns out that the Sephiroth or light transformers, okay, where do we get that idea that they're kind of like light transformers? Um, from their own writings. This is how the Sephiroth work. The light comes in and they kind of do these step down things through the creation. So as, as the light's passing through this creation story, something goes wrong. The light transformers don't work. They can't contain the light coming in. And it results in something they call Shavira, which is the breaking of the vessels. Shavira is the breaking of the vessels. And when the vessels break, the whole creation, including God himself, go into exile, right? So this is before... Like, you know, the physical man, Adam, is even created. This, so, so God is in exile now because this, this whole strategy didn't work out and it broke. And um, when that happens, uh, they call that gallet, right? Divine gallet. Exile. And, and so there's all this light that's part of this tree. So these, the sparks of this light go all over the place. Some of them go back up towards Ein Sof. Some of them go down and get trapped in matter. And then some of them go into a place called the abyss. So this is known as the fall of Adam Cademan. But Adam Cademan is resourceful. So instead of just settling for what happened to him, this primordial androgynous entity engages in the first demonstration of tikkun. This is the doctrine of tikkun. Right now we're starting to talk about the doctrine of tikkun, which means repair. So from Ein Sof, healing lights go from the forehead of Adam Cademan to reconfigure the spheres. 
and it establishes a balance through masculine and feminine. So the, the tree actually comes into the full shape that we're looking at. And Adam Cademan goes on to create Adam, this second Adam in his image. This becomes the second Adam of Kabbalah, which is the Adam we read about in the garden. And uh, Adam Cademan creates this Adam with the goal of this physical man, Adam, restoring balance to the creation. Now, again, this rewrites the entire doctrine that Jesus is the second Adam who does break the power of sin and death and brings redemption to the creation in himself. And we have some other guy now who, who also fails. And since they don't believe in a Jesus, they're looking for a different Messiah who is not Jesus because they've written him out of the script completely. Now, their second Adam is our first Adam. But remember, in their mythology, in their mythology, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are the same tree. So the heresy is compounded. And so this created Adam does the unthinkable. He separates the fruit of the trees, right? So you have this like same tree and you have like, you know, tree of knowledge here and tree of life here, but it's like one tree, this one stump. And so he goes over the, the tree of knowledge and he eats from that tree. And what he does, he doesn't really sin. He just unbalances the creation. He isolated the tree of life from the tree of knowledge. And so the unity of the trees is destroyed. This is what they believe. So the tree of knowledge begins to dominate. And for that reason, the divine light separates from Adam's soul and the world descends into chaos. Enter the secret doctrine of Tikkun. So now we have this divine cosmic drama with the matrix breaking a second time. And so they teach that it is the responsibility of every Jew and people in this physical world to play their role in Tikkun. We are responsible to repair, right? Because Tikkun means repair, the damage done by creating duality within the tree. So guess what the primary vehicles of repair are? Are you ready? Drum roll. Who knows how they're going to do their tikkun to bring about redemption from the destruction the second Adam brought? Any ideas? Anyone guessing today? You're absolutely right. You guessed it. Mitzvot. Mitzvot, the observation of Torah, which, if you forgot, means the Old Testament interpreted through Talmud and Kabbalah. The entire Hebrew Roots movement. Right there, right? Back to Torah. That is the secret doctrine of Tikkun. I know you're mad 
don't be mad at me. Just be mad. Now, let me show you something. Okay. Mitzvot, M-I-T-Z-V-O-T. Okay. Gershom Shkolem, professor of the University of Jerusalem, he has passed away, very famous um, for his contributions to Judaism and Kabbalah. Uh, He says, but the essential function of the law, both of the Noahide law binding on all men and of the Torah, imposed specially upon Israel, is to serve as an instrument of the tikkun. Every man who acts in accordance with this law brings home the fallen sparks of the Shekinah and of his own soul as well. He restores the pristine perfection of his own spiritual body. So, how mad are you right now? See, and, and, and this, is, this, this is the problem, okay? A return to following the 613 Torah laws plus the Talmud and other ancient Jewish writings or the Noahide laws for Gentiles, which I'll talk about in a second, has nothing to do with the move of Jesus to bring correction to the body of Christ and everything to do with the infection of pure Christian doctrine with the Antichrist agenda of Kabbalah. I said it. I said it. I'm, I, I'm challenging you. I'm sick and tired of hearing these sob stories of people who have friends and relatives get targeted by these, you know, uh, rabbis and these Hebrew people, Hebrew teaching group that say, look, just study Torah with us for a year or two or three. The next thing they know, they're not even praying to Jesus anymore. Now they pray to Yahweh. There's a reason for that. That's called the Tetragrammaton. We're going to get to that later. <laughs> the whole belief system is antichrist and designed to mirror the revelation of God through the Bible and then deceive because truth gets twisted by the serpents. Now, I need to point one thing out before I go on in regards to Noahide laws. This is also going to make you very mad. Don't blame me. This is just the truth, okay? Now, I'm going to be honest. The Noahide laws at first glance seem very fair, okay? These are them. Uh, Do not worship idols. Do not blaspheme God. Do not murder. Do not elicit in illicit sexual relations. Um, Do not steal. Do not eat from a live animal. That means, you know, uh, the cow is still alive and you are chopping off its leg and eating the leg while the cow is still alive, right? (laughs) And uh, create a system of legal justice. So it, it seems very fair at the surface, okay? But here's a few facts that have concerned a number of people paying attention. On March 26, 1991, the U.S. Congress established these laws as public law. Some have pointed out that the enforcement of no idolatry 
in the writings of the Jewish sages requires the punishment of the Christian who believes in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because in their view, the triune God is idolatry. And according to the Babylonian Talmud, violation of any one of the Noahide laws is punishable by decapitation. So many of you will be very familiar with Revelation 20, verse 4, which says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who have been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or in their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. In other words, there is a setup within Kabbalah and Babylonian Talmud to produce the system that leads to the beheading of Christians. Now, whether or not that's how it's going to play out in the long term, I don't know. But the Antichrist strand through and through the Kabbalistic system is undeniable. It's Antichrist agenda everywhere. Okay. Now, moving on. I'm going to step on some more toes. According to the Bible, right? It, it is what we need to understand, okay? The Kabbalah teaches the secret doctrine of Tikkun, which is we are going to use mitzvot in order to bring a repair to the creation. Jesus fulfilled the law along with everything written in the Psalms and the Proverbs regarding him and did away with Judaism as a valid gate to engage with God. The Bible says he makes the covenant obsolete. And now we have the law of love. If you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it. I have come to fulfill them. And what else did Jesus fulfill? Luke 24, verse 44, which says, and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So what is he doing? Fulfilling everything as what? The second Adam, who does what? Brings redemption to the whole creation in himself. But we have in Kabbalah a second Adam who actually destroys the creation and us coming on his heels to bring redemption to the creation by following mitzvah. And that leads to, right, because Torah includes the Babylonian Talmud and Kabbalah, ultimately the Kabbalistic system of ascension and meditation and chanting in order to work our way up the tree into true illumination, which is climbing the government of Lucifer. So the whole concept is backwards. It's so evil. It's so evil. It's taking Bible truth and doing the exact opposite. I don't know how much harder I can say this or how much clearer I can make it. It's a diametrically opposed agenda working through this Adamic revelation. Now, 
Jesus fulfills everything, they have their whole own mythology around the second Adam. Now, Jesus makes the old covenant obsolete. Now, I, I don't know why this is such a challenge for some people that are so desperately clinging to their, you know, that we got to go back to Torah. The Bible says, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another, another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, obsolete, obsolete. It is obsolete. <laughs> And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear, okay? Like, this is what it says. It's what written. It is what is written. We don't understand the agenda that's targeting us. Oh, so it sounds like a really good idea. 613 laws of the um, Torah in the Old Testament. That sounds great. Maybe that's a pathway to more holiness, you know? And yeah, look, there's moral code in the Torah that, I accept as really good stuff. Like you shouldn't engage in bestiality. Great idea. But we are learning to engage with a new covenant because the old one is obsolete. And if we use sources rooted in Babylonian Talmud and Kabbalah to get our revelation on what that 613 law, Torah code means to us in the Old Testament, we're going to find ourselves in a different belief system. It's like trying to learn how to be a better Christian using the Book of Mormon to interpret the New Testament for you. It's very, very deceptive. Now, we are called to the law of love in Christ Jesus. Now, and, and it says this over and over and over and over and over. And I just have to say it, right? Let, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, that was Romans 13, 8, Romans 13, 10, Galatians 5, 14, Galatians 6, 2, right? So Kabbalah has an agenda to redefine the Adamic revelation that produces our understanding of what Jesus did. And out of that, we come up with a revelation that we should follow Torah in order to engage in Tikkun. And we have a bunch of Christians that have been engaging in Tikkun and they weren't even told what they were signing up for because that's not how it's pitched. You know how they pitch it? Oh, oh, well, let me explain. See, obsolete actually means it's just aged. But when the Bible says that we are to obey Jesus, you will obey him by, by fulfilling his law. So obedience to Jesus means fulfilling the law. So you got to go back to Torah. And by the way, those feasts 
And there's nothing wrong with the feasts. But the feasts, those are the feasts of Yahweh, not the feasts of Israel. So we need to keep the feasts. But while we're keeping the feasts, why don't we keep the rest of the Torah at the same time? And it's like, wait, we're having two different conversations here. Slippery slope. Next thing I know, people are in Babylonian Talmud and Kabbalah. We're barking up the wrong tree. At the end of the discussion, the point is to illustrate the fact that Kabbalah is irreconcilable with Christianity. As people engage with tikkun, which means repair, remembering that the soul of Judaism is Kabbalah and the goal of Korah is sad or secret, which is Kabbalah. As people engage with tikkun, they're moving down a slope that puts them deeper and deeper into this alternate religion that is very anti-Christ to the core while also being turned away from Jesus to this Jewish myth. They find a counterfeit spirituality awaiting them in the form of ascension techniques, meditation techniques, frequency generating techniques, right? Not that there isn't a redemptive side of all these things in the kingdom of God, but Kabbalah has a virgin that they teach and they activate people into. And it allows people to navigate the tree, to actually ascend into the tree and move about it in order to get greater illumination. So you move from Malkut or the kingdom through Shekinah, which is the counterpart or the wife of Metatron. And you engage in the spiritual world beginning at Yasad. And then, you know, you navigate your way around this Metatron's cube, which is called a Merkaba which is a wheel within a wheel or otherwise they, you know, they talk about it as a, uh, a, 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 a transport in order to get to the higher levels of the tree, which initiate you into the greater light, Keter, Chokma, and Bina. All the while, this is what you're stepping into, right? And of course, coming back to the whole idea, like I explained it to you last week, the Ot is the point of the snake's mouth swallowing its tail. As Leviathan is the bestower of knowledge to those that are successfully ascending the tree from Malkut to get to the higher illumination. This is Luciferian doctrine to the core. This is sleight of hand. People all over the world are looking for ancient wisdom, learning to navigate the government of Lucifer, and they don't even know that's what they're being taught. Because this is Metatron's cube. <laughs> Metatron is the wife of Shekinah, the angel of the presence in Kabbalah, that's with Israel throughout the book of Exodus, according to their writings. And he is a replacement for Jesus. He is their Antichrist. <laughs> I could almost just rewrite this and just say, look, <laughs> okay, in case anyone is confused, and I'll talk more about <laughs> Metatron and why there's so many issues with so many revelations about Metatron come from three Enoch and some of these other sources. But like, this is the problem, okay? It's this ignorance thing. We think that we're having a spiritual encounter, so it must be of God. That's why we were talking for weeks and weeks on, 
on, on engaging the spirit through Christ because there is an antichrist engagement and it looks so close. And this is a problem. Um, this is a problem. Many survivors, since they are programmed with the tree, have an inherent ability to navigate the tree through their parts without even being taught in their presenter how to do it or what they're doing. So when they hear Kabbalistic-based teaching, Hebrew roots, Christian mysticism, based on this belief system, they are being activated in their parts to navigate this tree in ways that are entirely ungodly and placing them in deeper bondage than they were when they got started. Which is why this is so dangerous. I have to say something. So I'm saying it, right? So people all over the place are learning to navigate the government of Lucifer, which is a counterfeit creative temple. And by learning to ascend the tree, the rituals, chants, meditations, frequencies, and other occult practices, which aren't called occult, they're just called spiritual. At the center of all of this, and we're gonna get into this next week, is Merkabah mysticism, Metatron, Leviathan, and how this works into the whole thing. But for now, what you need to know is that Jesus Christ is the second Adam who already reconciled men to God and who will finish reconciling the entire universe in himself. Once he's finished graduating a company of sons and daughters of God, of which you are. Get ready, get ready, get ready. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, like our video, and share this with friends. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.